Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this friday y'all <laughs> yes it is okay it's supposed to cool off a bit huh? didn't we talk about that yesterday? a little bit okay it's hot out there today though man it sure is. We welcome you to the program today, the last day of the week as we approach the Neshoba County Fair coming up next week. I keep mentioning that because the elections are right around the corner, and the fair is always a big deal, but it is especially a big deal during an election year in the great state of Mississippi. We're going to the polls on August the 8th. To cast our ballots for those candidates running for the various offices across the state. That would be, of course, all statewide offices, the district offices, transportation commissioner, public service commissioner in the three Mississippi districts they represent. All of our state legislators in the House and in the Senate, they're all vying, these candidates are, for a seat in the Capitol. That's what they want. I saw a photo the other day. That I think they're doing some work in the House chamber. You seen this on the Oh, yeah, the they roof. took all the chairs and desks out. It looks weird. I got to tell you, that it would be one gigantic task to take all those desks and chairs out because they're kind of big and heavy. Because they seat three, those tables do. So that's not something you can just, like, stick under your arm and carry out. Of the room, and then the the big uh, high back chairs, of course, and a bunch of them in there. Yeah, so they're doing a little work down there at the Capitol. It is a beautiful Capitol. And if you hadn't been there, folks, you you need to go go during a session. Check it out. You can sit up in the gallery, look down at your representatives in the respective chambers, and watch them make them laws. That's what they do. Speaking of which. Lawmaking. How about this race for lieutenant governor? That's getting kind of nasty, isn't it? But in a contentious kind of expected. Yeah, I was going to say that. Participants in a contentious primary, one would expect that. And what we're seeing now are some other non-candidates, but state elected officials. They've sort of joined in 
the fawn. Specifically, Senator Jeremy England, Senator Daniel Sparks, uh, they have uh, gone to social media to express their support for incumbent Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, and they've also exposed, I think is a way to say it, some uh, some what they view as negative aspects of challenger Senator Chris McDaniel. And they serve in the same chamber. Wow. I don't know if you guys have seen all that, but uh, both have rather interesting posts on their Facebook account. We're going to get into it a little bit later in the program with Alyssa Arbuckle at 1120. Alyssa, of course, is a multimedia journalist with Super Top Mississippi News. That is big news across Mississippi. Student loan forgiveness. We'll dig into that. The rules that just went into effect, allowing exemption from certain childhood vaccinations. We, of course, had uh, Dr. Jennifer Bryan on our program earlier in the week. Dr. Dan Edney, who runs the Department of Health, was on with Paul Gallo as well, discussing that issue. So we'll dig into that. i got to tell you, though, folks, I've I've been hearing the ads on our air. It's pretty close to a point now, is it not, Rhino, where virtually all the ads on our air are political. Yeah, it's getting there. Um, But that's to be expected, as, as we're within striking distance of the primary. But and mostly in the lieutenant governor's race. So if you listen to an ad for uh, I just heard for a, a local candidate, I say local, running for a house that's local to our area, house seat. And it's more about here's who I am, here's my background, here's my experience, here's sort of where I stand. I say sort of because there's a fair amount of focus on background and experience and a lesser focus on uh, here, here are my policy positions and my my vision for the office. But in the lieutenant governor's race, it's mostly mudslinging. Would you agree? It's primarily mudslinging at the other candidate. And as I've stated many times before, you're prone to learn more about in a contentious race like this. You're prone to learn more about the candidates from their opponents than you are themselves. Uh, it's just kind of how it's devolved. Honestly, I loathe it somewhat. I I wish we'd focus on effective, productive policy to move our state forward, to to get us off the bottom of all the good lists and the top of all the bad lists. But one of the things I heard, I I just got to pass this on, and and I have in that race, I have uh, done my dead-level best to remain objective and just pass on information. But when I hear something that I feel needs to be challenged, I feel like i got to speak up. So one of the things that Senator McDaniel talks about in his ads, now this could be his PAC ads, I don't know. I I didn't pay attention to who's funding them. And there is supposed to, as you guys know, be a firewall between candidate and the campaign. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Right. And the PAC. And, of course, trying to prove that there is collaboration should someone want to do that, it's a pretty tall order. Right? That would require lots of digging and evidence and, honestly, money and corroboration 
among parties that are likely not to corroborate. You basically have to have a stool pigeon. Pretty much it. That just says that gets mad about something and, and rats it out. You're right. Well, you heard on our ad, on the ad, right before we started the program, about the lieutenant governor as secretary of state. Actually, he doesn't even say that, but it's the, the lieutenant governor telling Donald Trump, the Trump administration, to go jump in the Gulf with respect to the administration's request for voting information. And specifically in the ad, if you heard it, it cites the 2020 election. That's false. That's false. This was 2017. This is when the secretary, uh, pardon me, the lieutenant governor was the secretary of state. That is absolutely false. This has nothing to do with the 2020 election where there, of course, is widespread, pervasive belief that election fraud occurred. I don't think I've ever heard of any assertions that fraud occurred in Mississippi. Have you, Rhino? Have you heard anybody maintain that? Uh, Not for the presidential race, no. Specifically the presidential race, because the ad references the 2020 presidential race. Donald Trump, in fact, in 2020, that is not when he asked Mississippi for this information. It was 2017 to Delbert Hoseman as the sitting Secretary of State. And honestly, i got to tell you, folks, I, I support Lieutenant Governor Hoseman's action, his rejection of that request as Secretary of State in 2017, because it, it was letter. It was a letter from the uh, the administration asking for detailed voter information: names, birth dates, addresses, political party, military service, history of felony convictions. I believe Social Security numbers were part of that request as well. Well, honestly, I don't think any state ought to supply that information to a presidential administration. I just don't. I can't imagine that anybody who's conservative, who would fashion themselves as a conservative, would support. That's that's like blatant federal intrusion, federal acquisition of personal private information. And let's be honest, you could send it to Trump, and maybe you think because we're a Republican state, even in, I'm talking about in 2017, that's safe, because it's Trump. He's friendly. We're friendly. However, that ends up in the in the possession of the federal government. It doesn't go away when Joe Biden takes over. Then Joe Biden's got access to that information. So I'm just pointing out that this was something that occurred in 17, not 20. Folks can get mad at me about pointing that out. That's fine. Because we're here about being honest and objective in, in uh, where it makes sense to be so. And I believe it, here it does. And, and more importantly, just conveying the facts. And that's just a fact. You can go look it up for yourself. I, find, I found six reports on this, at least. National publications, local publications. It's not hard to, to um, discern. We're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well studio. Don't forget Alyssa Arbuckle at 11:20 and Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform at 12:05. Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it on Super Talk Mississippi. 
comes the day you're mine I'm gonna teach you to fly We've only tasted the wine We're gonna drain the cup dry <laughs> We are back. That would be the great Tony Bennett, the late great Tony Bennett. Sorry to report the Tony Bennett who famously said, I've never worked a day in my life. That's what he told USA Today in 2011 because I love what I do. He passed away at the age of 96 this morning. That's just two weeks short of his 97th birthday. That was confirmed by his publicist. Wow. He made a lot of music, and I mean a boatload of Grammy nominations and won several as well and got a Lifetime Achievement Award, I believe, Rhino, back in 2001. Is that right? 2001. I think so, yeah. yeah. My father... Absolutely loved Tony Bennett. My father was a was a great had a great voice, and my father was one of those when you went to church, even though he didn't he wasn't at the podium singing, just in the congregation. You like to hear his voice, which was beautiful. Honestly, I don't have his a singing voice, but man, could he ever sing Tony Bennett tunes? We'd put it on the old stereo with the LP spinning. My mother would, the console stereo, the zenith we had in our house, you know, and and they'd crank it up. My father would sing along, and I swear he sounded just like Bennett. Uh, man, fantastic voice. Going to miss him. Uh, of course, I left my heart in San Francisco. Maybe his most famous tune. Uh, he, a New Yorker. I think he was a native New Yorker. Really, and just fun to watch him as well. Yeah, Tony Bennett. So, all right, something else I wanted to point out. You may have just heard Lieutenant Governor Hoseman's ad. So, again, in our effort to be objective and informative and to deal with facts, the ad from Lieutenant Governor Hoseman states that Chris McDaniel, the senator, was absent for votes on a bill that would have banned pornographic material in schools and libraries. Two bills passed this year, one in the Senate, one in the House. I checked them out. In fact, he did vote for both. So I was curious. So I don't get it. If, if we're contending that in an ad, there's got to be something else to it. Did a little research on that yesterday after the show. And what the, the references to there is the committee meeting. Senator McDaniel was part of this committee that took up this bill, passed it in the Senate, and then sent it to the floor. It is absolutely true that he was absent for the meeting on the day that bill was taken up. It was a Judd B. Part 2 meeting on February 28, 2023. I reviewed the video. So you know votes aren't recorded in committee meetings. But they are there is video record of those meetings. And I I looked at it and I scrubbed it. And he's not present. Now, you make your own mind up. 
how important that is is that to you, that he was not present for the committee meeting, but he did vote for the legislation. Now, there's something else known as pairing you guys may or may not be aware of. And if I say this wrong, folks, my friends out there in the legislature, please let me know. But essentially, when the roll is called, you can check in as a member. You're not then compelled to just sit there on the floor in your seat. Uh, And if you're going to be gone, absent for a vote, you can have someone else vote in your place, in your stead. It's called pairing. And I can't tell from those two votes whether or not the senator was physically present to cast those votes or if he... um, or if he uh, paired with somebody. I, I can't tell. So, but nonetheless, he did vote for those bills. So it's a little misleading, I would say, and the Hoseman campaign may get mad at me about that. But on the other hand, it is absolutely true that he was not present. I mean, I looked at it with my own eyes. I scanned, it's an hour and 37 minutes, by the way this uh, particular meeting this day when the legislation was taken up by this committee. So, make your own mind up there, you know, as far as that goes. But uh, it it's politics, right? And you, you can take, you know this, right? You, you can take, let's say, something negative about your opponent, and you can express that. And while that's sort of true... You know, he wasn't there for the committee meeting. And and look, this is something else that needs to be pointed out. What if he would have cast a deciding vote in a committee meeting? Then it doesn't get to the floor. Then we don't have a law prohibiting pornographic content in our classrooms, in our libraries. And that's what the bills do. There was also another bill Representative Lee Yancey introduced that that does put the responsibility on those who provide content to our schools. They've got to scrub their digital and uh, content, their books, et cetera, to make sure that they do not include inappropriate pornographic content at certain age levels. And when someone logs onto the Internet uh, to just view material, booked as part of the educational process, there's got to be some check on that. Well, so we have a couple of bills that passed. I thought those those were good bills. There's just always context and nuance, isn't there, to everything. And I again, I'm not trying to be critical or necessarily support. I don't want to play the gotcha game the candidates are doing because that's what it's devolved into, in my view. This campaign is gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I want to know Honestly, and I say this to everybody running for office in the state of Mississippi, what is your vision to get us off the bottom of all these good lists and the top of all the bad lists? That's what I want to know. I think that's what most Mississippians want to know. But just the rhetoric and pointing fingers that that guy's bad, I get that's an effective campaign strategy. But it's getting long in the tooth to me. And I can assure you that when we're at the fair next week and we have the opportunity to visit with these candidates, we're going to ask about these important policy matters. And yes, I know 
Uh, Jay from the rest says the, the fair starts today. And I apologize if I insinuated that it's next week. What I'm really trying to say is we will be there next week. Well, everybody knows the party doesn't start until we show up, right? That's right. Uh, We're bringing the heat, literally, uh, next week. I saw Commissioner Andy Gibson. He was on with Mary Whedon this morning. And uh, I asked him, of course, about being at the fair. And he says, I think I'm coming on at 1220. And at this point, I don't think the schedule's been finalized. I said, okay, yes, sir, we'll see you there. <laughs> I, I'm of the impression that we will have a guest for every segment, given that it is campaign season, campaign year. And that sounds like a whole lot of fun. We'll, uh, But seriously, I want to know. And, and some of these things that you've promised. You said you're going to eliminate the income tax. As an example, that's top of the list. Give me the plan. What you're saying is they have no excuse if they bumble through an answer because you're giving them plenty of Correct. forewarning. Correct. And I've thought seriously about should I do that or should I expect them to be able to answer that question uh, without days of preparation. I've, I'm of the opinion that when you put those bullet points out in campaign materials or talking points, probably hadn't thought through all those details because it's complicated. It takes time to do that. Uh, The ballot measure was something that came up yesterday. I think it could be argued that the vast majority of policy decisions should be made with advisory and a measured approach with time spent thinking about it. There are very few things especially at the state-level government, where they're going to have to make a decision right now in the next 30 seconds or bad things happen. Totally agree. That's just, you just really rarely ever encounter those situations. And, and, And I'm not, it's not that I'm being critical of those for supporting those positions, those policies. Not at all. Uh, it, it, and I'm not trying to be critical here. I'm just saying that it's one thing to just express that as part of your platform. It's quite another to have a detailed plan to accomplish it. And I, I think that before we just jump all over some of these things and say, yeah, yeah, we need to make sure that they're tenable, that they're achievable, that they're viable. Right, that's all, really. The ballot measure process was something. Ben from Madison sent us a text this morning. He uh, he engaged on that topic yesterday, as did several people on our text line. We'll dig into that. We got a lot of national news as well. I got some very interesting news about a survey conducted of college students in the STEM program. Stay with us. With Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Back in the Element Well studio, we're having a big old time here today on this Friday, y'all. So, (laughs) 
A little fodder for the day. <laughs> well, there was um, a survey about engineering culture. <laughs> this is. I hope I get through this without laughing too hard. It's totally crazy. It was a survey about engineering culture, the so-called STEM disciplines, science, technology, engineering, and math. These were some academic researchers. And they wanted to get just some thoughts about um, LGBTQ matters. Now, the first thing that comes to mind, what the hell does that have to do with science, technology, engineering, and math? Why do we have to sexualize everything? It's crazy. So here's the good news, folks. Even college students, which are clearly ground zero for this cultural movement of race and gender, they're pushing back. Thank God. And so Oregon State University wrote an article about the responses to the survey. They condemned them, claiming some of the pushback in the survey represents, quote, fascist ideologues. (laughs) Everything's fascist. And they, quote, are living inside the house of engineering and computer science, these fascist idiots. (laughs) What the heck that has to do with twiddling bits, as we used to say in my software development days. So, they're all all bent out of shape. Why? Poor pitiful me. (laughs) Because they said that many of the responses contain, quote, slurs, hate speech, or direct targeting of the research team. And they, they've labeled these the students as malicious respondents. <laughs> the result was a paper these researchers wrote in response in their analysis of these malicious responses that they labeled, that they titled, Attack Helicopters in White Supremacy, colon, Interpreting Malicious Responses to an Online Questionnaire about Transgender Undergraduate Engineering and Computer Science Student Experiences. What has that got to do with engineering and computer science? What is China doing while we're mired in this crap? Trying to teach calculus to as young an age as possible. Yep. <laughs> so uh, the paper, this paper they wrote, analyzing they resp- these responses, they broke it down into themes, including demographics, diversity, equity, and inclusion, gender, anti-trans, anti-queer, racism, anti-Semitism, and online hate subculture references. Several answers contain profanity and other offensive and obscene language. (laughs) Some had memes in them. Oh, gosh. Here's what's funny. (laughs) Many, (laughs) they asked the gender. I thought you weren't supposed to ask gender. I, I, see, I'm confused about that. Well, that's the problem with the circular logic of the left is, don't you dare assume my gender. <laughs> but if you misgender me, you're also wrong. <laughs> that's right. But so, asking is also a problem because it's not evident. 
Exactly. So, again, going back to the to the title of the paper, Attack Helicopters in White Supremacy, where that came from is that many responses to the what is your gender question, at least 12 respondents, which is 24%, indicated their gender as being related to a helicopter or an aircraft, ranging from an Apache attack attack helicopter to a V-22 Osprey. In in one section where you're asked to declare your disabilities, responses range from claiming to be illiterate one person said, my country is run by communists. <laughs> oh, gosh. And one person said, oh, the horror. Identifying as a transgender is a disability in, a, in itself because you can't come to terms with your biological reality. That seems pretty rational to me, honestly. Oh, gosh. <laughs> one respondent claimed. To identify as a gift card as their gender. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, under racial and ethnic identities. I'm an ethnic gift card. <laughs> and under disabilities, one person said, I don't have enough gift cards. <laughs> oh, this is so good. This is a STEM research project. This is how you fight this inanity, is by pointing out the inanity of it. Exactly right. And if you can identify as whatever you can dream up, so can everybody else. And you can't be offended when they so point true. out how insane you are. That's so true. That's so true. The, so these scholars, and I use that term very loosely, these academic scholars... You know you're in trouble when they call them scholars. That pretty much eliminates them from having a lick of sense. No disrespect. I shouldn't say that. There are some true, genuine scholars that just are really bright people that have dedicated their lives to learning and educating and, and, uh, and in many cases, educating us. None of them are trans activists. Correct. That's exactly right. They're genuine in nature. So... They were surprised that this that this survey had been quote ultimately rejected. Uh, even their own findings uh, didn't find a place to be published in some of the popular academic journals. They claimed their research methods used anti-fascist and transqueer methodologies. <laughs> to make effective interventions and uh, transformations to our programs and institutions. It just can't make it up. It's incredible. Uh, And there's a... So the College Fix had a great article about this. (laughs) They've got a photo with... You you always do a good job of describing these wackos as always having these gigantic eye glasses. (laughs) This is what I'm looking at. The glasses are like eight inches in diameter, and they're pink. Well, of course. And they're, this person's holding a sign, trans inclusion in schools now. It's the I'm a stupid victim uniform. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I can't help but laugh at it. I, I apologize for for not being able to control my laughter, folks. But what else do you do? How do you take this seriously? How do you? 
What the heck does this have to do with STEM? Man. Um, so one person said they're a cisgender lizard king. <laughs> oh, gosh. Quasi-demi-pony Bonkai release state queer copter. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Homosexual upside-down frappuccino cake. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. That's the fodder for the day, I guess. Well, I'll give you another little tidbit of fodder. Then. Okay. It's not quite as funny. In fact, it should be at least a little bit scary because these are the people in charge. A spelling error has resulted in <laughs> thousands of emails intended for the U.S. military being sent to the country of Mali, <laughs> according to Pentagon officials. Because Molly, their email extension is .ml, and the U.S. military email extension is .mil. <laughs> so, also, so Molly happens to be an ally of Russia. <laughs> so the folks in the military at the Pentagon keep sending government emails to the Russian allied country of Mali because they can't spell. M I L. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh gosh. Well, I'm having too much fun on this. I just honestly, I don't I I just every day it's a whole my beer moment it feels like can't these academic researchers find something else? Of no, this do. is the only logical end to their useless degree in gender studies that got paid for by the government because they're not paying back their student loan. <laughs> we got a question on the ceasefire text line. We're going to get back to serious discussion uh, about the appointment of Democrats to committees in the Senate by the lieutenant governor. It's a valid question. It's something that Senator Chris McDaniel has been very critical of the lieutenant governor about. When we come back, we'll dig into that. We are in the Element Well studio. 601-879-4395 is the ceasefire text line. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. Well, studio on this Friday, y'all. A little Glenn Fry. All you can think about is Miami Vice from the 80s. When you hear that, too. That and We Belong to the City, which the video features Crockett and Tubbs. It's pretty good. Only in the 80s would you have a show set in Miami where people are willingly wearing sports coats in the summertime. (laughs) White ones, though. I mean... With the sleeves rolled up. That's true. Crockett was always in the familiar uh, white <laughs> outfit. Drove, was it a Lamborghini? I think so, wasn't it? Or was it a Ferrari? Ferrari. Could have been a Ferrari. My bad. Because I want to say they didn't have a real Ferrari for the first season, and they finally 
was they got popular enough to where they could bring in a real one. Yeah, there was some controversy about not having a real you, you, sports car. You talked about it on the show. Oh yeah, one time. I do remember that. That was there's some yeah, it's a Ferrari Daytona Spider and the Testarossa. Or is it Rosa? How do you spell it? Rosa. I've never uh, shot for one of those, so I wouldn't know. Um, yeah, so the, the question came up, and, and you certainly hear uh, criticism. Scott and Pearl says criticism from the McDaniel camp about the lieutenant governor's appointing, uh, I believe, 13 Democrats of the 16 in the Senate to chair committees in the Senate. This from Scott Pearl. Gerard, do you know how Lieutenant Governor Hoseman is justifying his appointment of 13 out of 16 Democrat state senators to chairmanships of legislative committees, and are these not obvious impediments to further progress as a state? Thank you for your response from Scott in the Pine Belt. Well, all right, let's go through that. There are 45 committees. There are 52 senators. 45, in my view, too many. That's evidenced by looking at the measures taken up by committee, five got none. We don't. Why, why do we have these committees? And occasionally they'll get one here and there, but I think if, if I were running, I'd say, we got too many committees. Uh, and As a Southern Baptist, I can say I blame the predominance of Baptists. They like Baptists committees. Baptists do love their committees. They'll have a committee on committees. <laughs> committees on establishing committees, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, that'd be the first thing I'd say. The second thing is uh, you, uh, if you appoint all Republicans as chair of these committees, these 45 committees, that means some Republicans are going to chair multiple committees because there are not enough Republicans uh, in of the 36 that sit in the Senate with 45 committees, you see the math doesn't work out there. So you'd have some chairing both. Now, that may or may not be a problem. It is true that historically, Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves appointed Democrats, Lieutenant Governor Phil Bryan appointed Democrats. I'm not sure why this is just becoming, uh, I guess, an issue that's getting attention now. Maybe it's because we have a contentious primary, Republican primary, that we really hadn't seen too terribly much in the past. Um, And then to the question from Scott, I would also encourage you to keep in mind that though a chairman does have some power and authority uh, as the chairman, the, the committees are still, because of the numbers in the Senate, they're the primary uh, number of members are Republicans. Republicans have the majority, I should say, on the committees. Now, the chairman can certainly has a little bit of power, legislative power, as, as far as what flows through the committee. But it's, it's kind of limited, honestly. And I did go back, Scott, and reviewed the committees that have Democrats as chair. Most of the legislation introduced in those committees died. Most legislation dies. If you, if you just look at the number of measures that are introduced, the number that make it out of committee to a vote, uh, it's... The vast majority die. The vast majority die. Yeah, they never make it. 
no matter who's chairing the committees, doesn't matter, or the committees that that um, take the bills up, they just die. And that's, I think it's fair to say, Rhino, a lot of those, you scratch your head and say, we don't need a law for this. Would you agree? It's like, it's kind of silly, honestly. But it's, I think it's that, that aspiration to have authorship, to have something that you can attach your name to and say, look at me, I got a bill. I think that's part of it. I would also say there are a lot of bills that are authored simply because a constituent brought it to the attention that's true. of their legislator, and the legislator said, yes, I'll write the bill. That's I true. can't make any promises, but I'll write the bill. And they do, and it usually doesn't go anywhere. That's a great point. I would add to that, lobbyist. Lobbyist true. influence that as well. So you're absolutely right about that. Sometimes it's just an, kind of an exercise in futility. They're, they're honoring uh, the request from a lobbyist, from a constituent, so I applaud them for that. Uh, but no one has probably got no chance of getting through. That's absolutely true. We're at the end of hour one on middays in the Element Well studio. That means it's time for Fox News and Super Talk News. We're coming back after that. Alyssa Arbuckle at eleven twenty. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio on this Friday, y'all. All right, so Representative Fred Shanks, who is an automobile enthusiast, said the fake Ferrari Spider. It was a rebodied Corvette. Ah. Remember, I remember you finding that and talking about it. That was the first season. Ferrari then gave them the white Testarossa. I remember that. You, you uh, brought that up on the show before. Appreciate that. Representative Shanks for informing us as we were talking about that. We also had a a text on the um, – let's see if I can find it here. Yeah, Johnny in West Point says, My brother loved Miami Vice so much that when he passed away at 21, we buried him in a white sports coat. Wow. That's interesting. Sorry to hear about that, uh, Johnny. That uh, appreciate you passing that on. How can I accept you for who you are if you can't accept yourself for who you are, says Kevin in Monticello, I think, referring to this transgender movement in the country and just how that has absolutely been inserted, and it seems like, into every aspect of our culture in all institutions, public and private. It's got us wrapped up like a dang pretzel. Coats with no socks, says Andy Jackson. Yeah, I remember that. That was the style, right? Wear some loafers and no socks. Sure. I think that's still the style at Ole Miss. But yeah. Well, I'll admit, I did that. <laughs> still do. I've got those. So, you know, I have the golfer's tan because I play golf a lot in the sun, and I wear the, the footies, which come up, the, the socks come up, of course, above your shoes. So it tans everything above that. Well, when I wear... When I go sockless and wear those kind of loafers, you can see just really how white that part of my feet are. And uh, 
My um, my wife calls it turkey meat feet. Looks like turkey meat. <laughs> yeah. My disability, says David in Indiola, Indianola, pardon me, would be my car warranty expired. <laughs> Watch out now. That's when everything starts going wrong. That's right. If your warranty ends at 120,000 miles at 130,000, something will have gone wrong. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Grover Norquist is my favorite guest on your show, says Gary in the Berg. He's going to be on with us at 12.05. We'll have a good conversation about tax reform efforts in Mississippi and really across the nation. So just back to this ballot, uh, not that, pardon me, the the appointment of Democrats. That's what I want to talk about, to Senate committees. Just looking further into that, just to recap, 45 committees, 40 got bills, 5 didn't, 13 Democrats shared committees, and a couple of those, I guess, that that uh, are notable, is a way to say it, <clears throat> would be gaming, which is chaired by Senator David Blunt, health, chaired by Senator Hob Bryan, labor, chaired by Senator... John Horn. Let's see, there's another one, if I can find it here, the municipalities. Yeah, that is chaired by Senator Derek Simmons. And uh, so those are kind of the ones that stick out. And I and I looked at, at those and the bills that flowed through them, and as we said earlier, Rhino, the vast majority die in committee. And... There's another one that's, that's the Senate Interstate and Federal Cooperation Committee. That, too, is chaired by a Democrat. It got zero bills. I don't even know exactly what that is, but it got zero bills. Um, corrections, <clears throat> pardon me, as well, is, if I'm not mistaken, isn't that chaired by? Maybe not. Isn't that chaired by a Democrat? Corrections? I have to look that up. Or is that? I'll, I'll look at that and find out. I can't remember. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, Juan Barnett. Juan Barnett, the Democrat from District 34. I thought so. And, I, and so I'm looking, for example, at the bills in that committee. And one, two, three, twelve. Wanted to count there. Of the twelve, eleven, no, pardon me, ten died in committee. Two passed. State inmates require MDOC to pay increased rate to house inmates at county jails. That was introduced by Senator Daniel Sparks. It was approved by the governor. Inmate welfare fund authorized to expend funds for treatment of mental illness for certain inmates. That, too, was approved by the governor. All the other ones failed. I think it was, as I recall, Senator Horn's Labor Committee that, uh, yeah, Senate Labor Committee, not a single bill made it out. And several of those bills called for an increase in the minimum wage in Mississippi, above the federal minimum wage, which Mississippi adheres to. So those all all died in committee. So I guess the fundamental question to me is, while I know folks are may, may um, see that as a problem, that the lieutenant governor appointed Democrats to chair these committees. Certainly, 
Senator Chris McDaniel is making that a front and center issue in the campaign. I think the fundamental question is, what legislation made it out of those committees and became law as a result of uh, having, explicitly as a result of having a Democrat chair, what legislation did not make it out explicitly as a result? Because that, that's where the rubber meets the road. The results are what matters more than just the formality, in my view. Now, that's not, that's not defending the action of appointing uh, Democrats. It, it's more trying to look underneath the covers to see, okay, exactly what impact did that have? And if I'm not mistaken in looking through some of this, I believe Senator McDaniel supported the vast majority of the bills that came out of those committees, chaired by Democrats, as did most of the other Republicans. And I think that's largely because the committees are still comprised mostly of Republicans. And so, in general, Republican-supported legislation is what's going to come out of those committees. One would think if the McDaniel campaign had an example of a bad law getting out of committee due to a Democrat being the chair, they would be pointing that out. Well, I agree, and that, and that's so. I, I'm looking for the substance more than just, uh, I guess, just the act of appointing committee chair. What's the substance? How did this affect Mississippians? Now, Thomas believes that the lieutenant governor runs around to every one of these committees and just personally hand selects which bills come out, which don't. Doesn't accept the fact that he is not an outlier in the Senate. Among Republicans. He is largely aligned with the vast majority of Republicans in the Senate. That's what he just just doesn't accept. And I think there are others that feel the same way. And, you know, my my opinion there is based on observation, my own eyes, watching deliberation, and numerous discussions with members of the Senate, including the lieutenant governor. It's pretty clear. So the the ballot measure, something we really focused on yesterday. We read Senator Pope, his direct statement on the matter. It's pretty clear that the senator doesn't really care for the ballot measure process. My representative in, in the House, Jill Ford, who sent me a text yesterday, said she stood with Polk. She has concerns about it. There are a lot of people in that Capitol that have concerns about it for fear that we'd end up with legislation that would pass that um, otherwise would not if it went through the, the traditional route of bills being introduced in the legislature and going through the process being sent to the governor. And I think that's because You've got a state where 40% in general of our voters are Democrats. If 60% are Republicans, all you need is 20% of them, one in five, to see things the way Democrats do to pass legislation that they support. And so I, I understand their concerns, their fears. I'm just trying to advise those who are really... Um, somewhat incensed about the fact that we lost that that mechanism and they want it restored, that this is likely to be the outcome if that occurs. If, are there any particular measures that those who are 
see this as a priority, would like to get to the ballot so that it could become law because they feel like that the legislature is just not taking it up and pushing through things that are important to them. That's a serious question. But the committee assignment deal, I personally feel like that's overblown. I, I, I get it. I just feel like it's overblown because I don't see any substance. I don't see any any negative results of that as far as legislation dying that otherwise would have made it out were it not for a Democrat chair or legislation um, not getting through or, or getting killed. So something to keep in mind. We're coming right back with Alyssa Arbuckle from Super Talk Mississippi News. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. It is a middays, and we welcome Melissa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist with Super Top Mississippi News. Of course, that sound means it's time to talk about the news. There's Alyssa. Alyssa, how you doing today? Good. That was good timing, Rhino. Yeah. That was. Wonderful. That was the best one that I've heard so far. One thing we just established is that it helps when I'm talking to have the mic in front of my mouth, not four (laughs) feet away. So, All right. So uh, it's been a rather eventful week, it seems like. Uh, Why don't we get started by talking about this uh, court ruling that allows religious exemptions for school vaccinations. Yeah, okay, so um, that was ruled. uh, We had an article go out on Friday. Now, this started on Monday where um, people who have religious exemptions, they can say, hey, I don't want my kids to be able to have these certain vaccinations that were required um, to be enrolled in Mississippi school districts. Um, But the ruling was in, in April that a federal judge said that you, you can't do that. You gotta let the parents choose, the legal guardians choose, and so um, it was enforced by the Mississippi State Department of Health, and they had uh, that previous vaccination rule for I think forty years. I'm pretty sure it was, um, but it did allow um, it didn't allow certain things like um, you know you had to get the polio vi- uh, polio vaccine, you had to get hepatitis, measles, mumps. All of those things, you know, that were really big factors, you know, within the past, you know, couple decades and stuff. So now people can say, you know, I don't want to have my child have that vaccination. Uh, COVID-19 vaccinations, that's not been required so right. far. So that's not doesn't apply to that. Yeah. No, it does not. So we had Dr. Edney, of course, on, the, on the, the Gallo Show earlier in the week. And on this program, we had Dr. Uh, Jennifer Bryan, and mm-hmm. they both discussed this issue. Uh, it was uh, ordered by the to the Department of Health, I should mm-hmm. say, by the judge to yes. implement this program. They have done so. You can go to the Department of Health website mm-hmm. if you wish to apply for religious exemption mm-hmm. from these vaccinations. There is a process to do so. It must be approved by the state epidemiologist. 
And I think you also have to view a video, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. I've seen some people on social media object to watching the video, hmm. which is kind of interesting. Okay, uh, so that's a big thing that happened. What about the Tideland squabble that's going on down there on the coast? That was something that um, I thought was really interesting. I'm not from the coast, so I didn't know very much about the Tidelands, but I started reading into it, and um, it was this week that uh, Biloxi's mayor, uh, Fofo Gillich, Andrew Fofo Gillich, mm-hmm. uh, he released a letter of support to Attorney General Lynn Fitch, um, as well as General Joe Spragans, who's over the Department of Marine Resources, the DMR. Um, The DMR is the one who's supposed to enforce these leases for um, the Tidelands, you know, down on the coast and everything. Well, not enforce necessarily, but make sure that those leases are made. Um, And uh, uh, Secretary of State Michael Watson has said, you know, Attorney General Lynn Fitch, I really want these to be enforced. I want to make sure that these people are paying their Tideland leases. Right. Um, and I want the DMR to make sure that that's happening, you know, and having that they have this permit first and then they can start leasing it. Um, and Attorney General Lynn Fitch has said, um, no, we're just going to, you know, let things be as they are. And uh, Secretary of State Michael Watson, you can hire an outside private firm to make sure that that's enforced like we've been doing for you know years and years to make sure that that's enforced um so he hired one that is going to cost seventy five thousand dollars that's been about how much it is Hmm. in previous years like whenever hoseman was doing it um and years ago he also hired a private firm to be able to deal with it as well i remember that um and it's kind of interesting how this is all surfacing as we approach uh, the election, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of this happened as Lieutenant Governor was Secretary of State mm-hmm. during that period. And yes. Yeah. So we got a couple of state offices that are contending a bit on this matter. Yes, definitely. Lynn Fitch uh, hasn't given out very much you know, information and hasn't really released any statements about it. That's something that Watson's also said that he you know, wants more communication about it and that he's been notifying her about it for over a year now um, and that he's just worried because at this time, like over 25 entities on the coast alone, they're using the Tidelands without having a proper lease. And there are over a dozen, I think, that are also... Uh, they have they're subleasing it from state agencies and they're not paying that lease, yeah. even though they're still using the land. Yep. So he wants to make sure that um, everybody pays those and that the you know tidelands are preserved and not misused and that you know um, the public still has has access to the ocean and the land surrounding it. So right now I'm pretty sure there's 150 current uh, proper. Uh, Tideland leases in Mississippi, and that generates ten to twelve million dollars hmm. to local agencies on wow. the coast. So, something that's certainly been in focus the last several months in the state of Mississippi is the healthcare mm-hmm. uh, industry, and there's been some uh, some activity, some news there. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Merritt Health River Region, that's in Vicksburg, um, they announced, I believe it was June thirtieth, that they were going to be closing. Um, their men, or their behavioral health unit on June 30th, right? So they're going to transfer 40, 50 beds over to Merritt Health Central, uh, Mississippi, which is in Jackson. So that's probably about like 35 minutes away. Yeah. Um, so they're going to transfer all of those over there. Um, 
it's kind of just hit the news, you know, as I mean, a, a couple of different places have closed their behavioral health units. Um, other ho- hospitals have experienced closures of inpatient services, beh- behavioral health units, um, and some have been a, a lot of hospitals have been laying off hundreds and hundreds of employees. So and getting them to relocate. Um, but Merritt Health Central has been having a 10 month long, uh, endeavor to consolidate several of their mental health services, such as adult, adolescent, and chemical dependency units. So it's not, it's nothing new that just came out of nowhere. I don't think we've seen the last Mm-mm. of, uh, of more news coming out of the healthcare sector in the state of Mississippi. All right. We got, uh, political races are heating up, shall mm-hmm. we say, the lieutenant governor's race. On the Republican side has been certainly in focus, mm-hmm. uh, and we've got elections coming up. What what's happening here is is uh, Senator McDaniel and Lieutenant Governor Hoseman seem to be uh, playing the game of gotcha. It seems like, huh? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, we released an article this week by our news director J.T. Mitchell. He put it together. Um, I highly encourage any listener to go out and read it for themselves. It's very detailed, uh, very thorough, and it gives a lot more insight than we're probably about to give. Um, So a lot of stuff has happened this week alone, just between um, incumbent Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman and, uh, you know, candidate Senator uh, Chris McDaniel. They've released some ads, and it's very much, you know, like, oh, this is what I want to do, and this is what I've seen. One of the things that McDaniel is accusing Hoseman of is being a Mm -hmm. pro-abortion, because Hoseman used to work at South Jackson, Mississippi, or South Jackson Women's Clinic, Mm -hmm. uh, which is now closed. But um, he released some documents that Hoseman worked there until, you know, 1989, and then... um, you know, decade later, the clinic's president came out and said um, that Hoseman only provided services uh, at that clinic from 1977 to 1981, which was before any abortions were made there. Legal so, services. Yes. And he was listed on official filings with the Secretary of State as mm-hmm. an officer in the company, which you have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think the question is timing yes. more than anything. And the Secretary of State, I suspect, is probably going to be thrust into this matter as well because it's documents that Mm -hmm. uh, they have on file Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so we got that and then we got a couple of senators that uh, are coming to the defense of uh, delbert hoseman and being critical of their colleague senator chris mcdaniel that would be senator jeremy england yes and daniel sparks what do you know about that so with uh senator jeremy england uh, a photo surfaced of him shortly after he was in a local tv ad stating his support of hoseman Um, a video surfaced of him wearing a pink jumpsuit and a tool skirt and uh, some people were asking, what is that about? Why is he wearing pink? Um, what, who is he supporting? And had some backlash. And he came out and explained that it was in 2020 when he was raising money for uh, breast cancer uh, survivors. And he raised a lot of money from it in 2020 and is now using the photo now that it's being used after he stated his support of Hoseman. He's raised uh, over $1,600 just from Thursday morning, I think, Wednesday to Thursday morning. Um, for uh, all men wear yeah. pink or he posted know. on his social media and, and apparently uh, I think someone I think he explains that it was used as a threat somebody was going to mm-hmm. expose that photo without context yes 
Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, we appreciate it, as always, uh, Alyssa, for coming in. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Started today. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Well studio, going to pass on a little news from the national scene. I got to tell you guys, this uh, these whistleblowers from the IRS, very compelling testimony. I don't think this is getting the attention that it should, because, of course, the mainstream media is all about protecting the president. It looks to me like the... Walls are closing in on him, and you're seeing more investigation, more effort. James Comer in the House, representative from Kentucky, that chairs the committee, that has commissioned all these investigations and hearings. It's just incredible what's going on there, and and there's just more evidence surfacing about these, what they call SARS, suspicious activity reports and banking transactions. To just make it pretty clear that this guy was peddling influence from a number of sources. Not just Burisma, China as well. Maybe even Saudi Arabia. There's just lots of... The smoke is starting to get closer to the fire, I guess is one way to put it. And I just wonder if he can survive this. I heard this morning a representative... In uh, Florida, is talking about drawing up impeachment papers. Now, whether or not they want to go through that process again, because you know it won't get through the Senate, it's where a conviction would occur to remove the president from office. But it 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 could possibly play out positively from a political perspective. It now appears that the FBI knew this laptop belonged to Hunter Biden. Before the election? Long before the public knew it existed. Right. And kept it a secret? My man Vivek Ramaswamy says he wants to, quote, dismantle the FBI and the, the Department of Education. It's, it's the bureaucracy, as we've said so many times, that's running the dang country and has a bigger impact on our lives than any other faction of government. Speaking of the bureaucracy, Rhino, the Government Accountability Office, the GAO, reports that a shocking low of 9% occupancy at the USDA, HUD, GSA, Office of Personnel Management, SBA, Social Security Administration. They're still not back to work. Hey, COVID's been over 
for a while. This is weak. This is lame. 35% occupancy of commerce, homeland security, DOJ, state, and treasury. The whole dang government's working from their house. Even Democrat Mayor Muriel Bowser says the empty desks, I'm quoting, are creating a downtown Washington, D.C. that resembles a ghost town. And, of course, you know when the vacuum forms, what happens? Homeless, crime, blight, take over. She's telling the feds if they don't get their employees back to work, they should turn over their building space to the city and private entities who are, quote, willing to revitalize it. If you're just going to keep the whole federal government workforce at home, I agree with her. I finally agree with her on something. This is incredible. Federal payrolls, by the way, $300 billion a year. That's what we pay federal employees. A little bit of good news to report uh, on the cultural front, and that is BlackRock, the world's largest wealth manager, who Larry Fink chairs, all in on ESG, right? I mean, he's just trying to re-engineer capitalism through this ESG effort. Okay, he's now giving U.S. investors uh, in their largest uh, exchange-traded fund, ETF, a choice, a choice on how that ETF would prioritize issues with respect to companies it invests in. So whereas prior to that, Fink said, no, ESG, got to be all in on that for us to put our money in your company. Our It'd be our client's money, essentially. So they're giving the investors in the fund the option to weigh in on their investment preferences with respect to just various policies and operational matters of those companies. That's excellent. That's really a 180, honestly, for that guy. So that's all good stuff. Interesting. Vivek is legit. We need Trump. Vivek is VP, then eight years of him. Vivek's already said he will not answer the call to be Trump's vice president. Now, things could change between now and then, and uh, DeSantis has said the same. I personally think Vivek would be an outstanding president, and we're within a month or so of the debates, the Republican debate thus far. Donald Trump says he shall not participate. I personally believe that Vivek will shine on the debate stage and that uh, his numbers will rise precipitously. Um, so somebody on the ceasefire text line, Rhino, who's never texted us before that I can say, says that I'm making excuses for Mr. Hoseman. So I've also received a bit of grief on the other side as well, saying that I seem to be providing deference to Senator McDaniel. You know what that means? It's working means that I am offering objective analysis. So I'd ask this person and anybody, I sent a text back, what have I said that's untrue? And I'm certainly willing to accept any any challenge to the veracity of any statements I've made if they can substantiate that my analysis was untrue. I, I'm, all, I'm all about that. I want our audience to know the truth and the facts. It's, it's not... 
serving as a, a proponent uh, or, in, or, or an endorsement for either candidate. It's just, I think you need to know the facts before you vote. And I've called out both candidates today on what I think are, you know, borderline misleading statements in their ads. Borderline. Actually, i got to say, though, the, the one that expressly says from the senator 2020, that's just factually incorrect. It was 2017. You've seen that, right? You oh, looked yeah. this up. I mean, there's you could go you could go search for it and find a hundred articles like that, and every single one of them has the date. It was when he was Secretary of State. Because think about it, a president or their administration wouldn't make such a request of voting information of the lieutenant governor. The lieutenant governor doesn't doesn't administer that data. The Secretary of State does. So if that happened in 2020, that request would have been made to Michael Watson, the Secretary of State, elected in 2019, as was the Lieutenant Governor. So that's it's important to discern that. On the other hand, I also pointed out that the Lieutenant Governor, in an ad, m- makes a an, an assertion that Senator Chris McDaniel did not support and vote some key legislation barring pornographic material in our classrooms. That's not true. There's two bills. He voted for both of them. However, when you dig underneath the covers, it's true that he was not present for the committee meeting where the bill was taken up. If someone can prove otherwise, let me know. I believe there's even a wager on social media for that very thing. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. This person says, it's the excuses and the inferences you make when you speak of the attacks on both sides. Excuses? Be specific. What excuse have I made? I haven't made any excuses. I listen to what is said and how it is said. What is your relationship with Mr. Hoseman socially? I'm not part of any political campaign. I'm just a Mississippi Neshoba County voter who will be at the fair next week, as I am every year. will be interesting. Come by and see us. Uh, this is the same person that says I'm not being objective. Well, I've disclosed that on the program before. You may not have heard it. I'm happy to do it again. I have relationships with both candidates. Um, so I'll talk about that. we got a break right here. I'll talk about that on uh, the other side of the break. At 12.05, we got Grover Norquist, President of Americans for Tax Reform. Please stay with us. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for.
CCR. We're back in the Element Well studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. So, I'll sure, I'm happy to clarify my relationship with both of the candidates in with the lieutenant governor first. That goes back to 1985. He was just recommended to me by a friend when I was forming my business. He was a lawyer at, I believe, Phelps Dunbar at the time and uh, helped us put together our our legal work to form a, a company and then handled some other corporate matters for us for several years. Didn't have really have a lot. Had to buy out a partner in the company at one point. That... Um, they got a little touchy, and he was involved in that, as was my longtime labor lawyer who's been on the program, Pepper Crusher. Been on the program before. He's now at Balsh and Bingham. And then he also did the lieutenant governor. This was before he was ever in politics, by the way. He handled some personal matters. I had two um, foster children for a while, and there were some legal matters that had to be attended to there with respect to their... Uh, their their mother. They had a, a estranged father living in the home of their um, eighth and tenth grade, living in the home with their mother who suddenly passed away in my community in our school that my kids went to, my natural kids, and he handled some of that. Um, but that's pretty much it. Uh, it's just, I guess as far as how I know him, the senator. Um, I kind of broke from the pack, shall we say? Uh, in the in kind of the core of politics in Mississippi, and I supported Senator McDaniel in his run for the U.S. Senate in 2014, and did so really without, I guess, trashing, marring Senator Cochran. I just felt like we needed a change. Honestly, I felt like that the, he'd been there a while. And that it was time for a refresh, and I supported Senator McDaniel. I wrote uh, an article to that effect, got pretty widely published and read. I attended many of the events. I gave money. And I I was uh, outspoken on my support for him in 2014. You know, I, I wouldn't have handled the loss the way he did that night. Yeah, he's, he's been criticized for that. There's no secret there. I should also point out that Mark Mayfield, who started the Tea Party, by the way, when that was gaining traction, that was during the Obama years, he started it in Mississippi. He's the one that was arrested and connected to the photos taken of Rose Cochran in a nursing home. I had numerous classes with Mark Mayfield at Ole Miss. We had gotten to be friends. Also lived in my neighborhood. So I have a relationship with both candidates, and honestly, it's one of the main reasons I've attempted to remain objective. But you know, anytime, Rhino, you dive into any of those issues, somebody's going to interpret it differently, and I appreciate that. Oh, yeah, that. if you're not blowing smoke up my candidate's skirt, then obviously you're against them. Yeah, and, and really my, my purpose there is to inform. That's all I'm trying to do. 
if you know, take that for what it's worth. And if somebody can refute anything that I've passed on, please let me know, and we'll we'll investigate that. And if necessary, we'll correct it. We try to do that on the program. We, we talk about a wide variety of topics, and sometimes I can't always recall everything we've talked about, and it kind of comes off the. The cuff, like we got into the ballot measure process yesterday. I couldn't remember all the numbers, but I looked it up and then passed that on just to clarify. We want you to know the facts and the truth. Didn't he give education more money at the end of the session on the ceasefire tax line? Not sure what that exactly means. It is true that a law was passed last year providing a, a, a fairly significant teacher pay raise, something that had been discussed a lot. That's about $250 million a year, and that was widely supported. Gerard, I've voted for Delbert every time he's run, but uh, his no-debate stance is causing me a lot of apprehension. What's your thoughts, Harold and Tupelo? I, I can pass on as well that, and Rhino can attest to this, I have have approached both candidates about engaging in a debate, and I've offered to moderate that. I feel like that uh, I'm positioned to do that, suited to do that, and the lieutenant governor thus far has rejected uh, that request, I've, I've talked to him about it more than once. The senator has agreed to such. But we should also point out, it's not unusual for an incumbent in a primary. Donald Trump has said he will not debate, right? I, I wish he would be on the debate stage. I'm with you. I'd like to see that because I think I think the voters could benefit by seeing the the. the um, candidates debate. The same thing happened in 2014. Senator Thad Cochran would not debate Chris McDaniel. He was maligned much for that. I do think there's value in that, but I also understand you got to keep this in mind, folks. You know what the goal is in a political race? To win. So they they calculate every move on that basis. Time for Fox News, News and Super Talk News. Grover Norquist is up next. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays live from the Element Well studio on this Friday, y'all. Joining us now is Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform. Hey, Grover, how you doing today, sir? I think you're muted there. Grover, check your mic. There yes, go. I was trying to be very virtuous <laughs> up until now. Okay. Hi, good to be with you. Yes, sir. So I uh, always enjoy uh, seeing you primarily on the business channel. i uh, a regular viewer of Cudlow, and you are a frequent guest and always enjoy your analysis. And I'll just start by saying, does it not seem like that to the Democrats the solution to every problem, every challenge in the country is more taxes? Uh, it is. Well, that's half of it. More taxes and more spending, and more control, more regulation over our lives. Yeah. And that's why the Democrats like to create crises, because then they can have higher taxes and more spending and more regulation. 
Well, so far we've somewhat dodged a bullet. If you look at the uh, kind of the uh, original tax proposals from the Biden administration, going back to the Build Back Better Act, which had just a series of taxes, I guess we've really gotten two sort of main things passed um, uh, in the Inflation Reduction Act, and that is a, a tax on stock buybacks, and then the minimum tax on corporations, and that's just grossly overblown at the end of the day. Well, the good news on the minimum tax, it hasn't passed. Uh, okay. It's not the law. Okay. They're trying to negotiate an agreement with the Europeans that we won't have our taxes lower than theirs so that we can't compete with them. Uh. Now, why an American would want to do that, I understand why the Germans think that's funny, uh, but why an American president would want to do that to American workers is beyond the pale. It's, it's, they're trying to set up an OPEC cartel against tax cuts so that we can grow as slowly as Europe. Why well, would you want that? We don't want Europe dictating tax policy in this country. That seems like that's ceding sovereignty. It is. It's exactly what they're doing, and that's what the governor's uh, governor. That's what the uh, uh, secretary of treasury's looking to do. We have a Republican House. They will not be able to pass a law or a treaty. There are enough Republicans in the Senate to stop a treaty, uh, but they can go out and just announce they agree. Remember the Paris Agreement on global warming or cooling or or climate change. Yeah. Uh, that was. There's no nobody's passed a treaty on that, but they keep acting as if we'd agreed to something. Because Obama said yes to the Un- Europeans. Unbelievable. Let's talk about the state of Mississippi. You uh, are aware of our tax reform efforts here. I know you visited our state when uh, we were deliberating that legislation back in the 22 session. We didn't quite get full elimination of the income tax, but we did get a reduction, a phased-in reduction. Where we'll end up in three years is with a single 4% bracket of all taxable income above $10,000. What do you think? Uh, Mississippi was denied an incredible opportunity um, because there are uh, 12 states where the governor, the legislative leadership has said, we're going to zero. Uh, In a year and a half, New Hampshire will be at zero. Uh, They've been working on going to zero for 12 years in North Carolina. It's the model of of clicking it down uh, using triggers that uh, Phil Gunn, the speaker, uh, put into the legislation mm-hmm. uh, when he passed the bill to go to zero, to go to zero, not four, right. which is nice. It's high for an income tax compared to other states that are going to zero. There are 12 states on the road to zero. Uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, it, Louisiana's got one coming down a bit. doesn't go all the way to zero yet. They need a Republican governor to make yeah. that happen. Yeah. Uh, Arizona, uh, North Dakota, uh, now Iowa and uh, uh, uh West Virginia and yeah. Kentucky and Nebraska. Uh, and Mississippi could have been at the head of all that list because your House voted overwhelmingly with uh, bipartisan support, Phil Gunn, the Speaker, uh, and uh, Tate Reeves, uh, the governor, campaigned on going to zero, was a strong supporter. We met with, I met with Reeves and uh, with, with uh, Phil Gunn, and then we had conference calls with all the, out, you know, the groups that could help on, on educating people in, in the state and the business community. Uh, the leader of your Senate refused to come to any of the meetings 
um, sent somebody who never said anything sometimes uh, and then killed the bill in the Senate. We yeah. were not allowed to pass the bill. They passed with more than two thirds. I mean, it's like 100 to 14. It was an overwhelming number in the House. House. Yeah. It both phased the income tax over to zero and cut the uh, food tax on food, um, groceries, and the Senate leadership killed it, although the governor believed that the votes were there in the Senate if they'd have allowed a vote. So mm. Mississippi got a little tax cut compared to the other states, but it should have been leader of the band. And hopefully we can get this fixed because the votes are there in the Mississippi legislature to move quicker than some of the other states. Yeah, and I, I think this has been uh, a very high-profile issue in the race for lieutenant governor, who, of course, presides over our state. And uh, the challenger, Chris McDaniel, has made that uh, a high priority uh, in his in his campaign plans, in his, in his plans as lieutenant governor. So this is going to get taken up again. We tried it again this past session in 23, and, and honestly, we just couldn't get any traction. It, it didn't look like it was going to get through the Senate, so the House kind of just let it die. But you're seeing this pay dividends in states that have eliminated their income tax, have we not? Yes, and there, there are two, three things. One is some states are at zero. People move to states that have zero state income tax, Texas, Florida, Tennessee. Um, and then there are 12 states that have single rates. And one of the victories that Phil Gunn and Reeves had was to get um, Mississippi to move to 4%, flat yeah. rate of 4%. Yep. Now, it's too high, but a single rate tax is much easier to reduce because everybody understands that everybody benefits equally. Yeah. It's also much more difficult to raise because... The politicians have to go, I've got a great idea. You're all paying for it. <laughs> Everybody. Go, Wait a minute. Tell us about this great idea. As opposed to Bill Clinton and Biden and Obama, who said, I've got many ideas, but only 2% will pay for it. <laughs> so you guys go out of the room. This might be a little loud and unpleasant and blood on the floor, but it's not you. So it's okay. And of course, as soon as they mug the the guys they, they said they were going to, they turn around and want to tax energy. That's everybody. Yeah. Um, and they want to tax other, you know, the, the goods and services. And when they tax corporations, 70% of the corporate tax paid by workers in lower wages. So yeah. they, they really do always tax everyone, but they try and pretend they don't. So single rate taxes are easy to reduce, difficult to raise. Mississippi's moving to the single rate tax, but it could have been on, on a path to zero except uh, Delbert Klosman, your uh, leader in the Senate, killed it. Wouldn't let a vote come forward. He didn't support it. We tried it. very hard to get him to help, and he was he's the guy who killed it. He's he, the reason Mississippi is behind all those states I mentioned, rather than in front of them. As the as you say to work, workers, come here, and to students, don't leave. We're going to have a zero-income tax. Oh, and by the way, businesses, your CEO and all your employees will have lower taxes come to to Mississippi, it's the biggest, best calling card for jobs uh, and the way to keep kids from leaving their home state. He did make it clear that he opposed full elimination of the income tax, and you're right, there there were Senate leaders as well that were in that camp um, that essentially just did such that the bill just didn't get through the Senate and didn't get to the governor's desk. The governor Kurt, uh, certainly supported it and would have signed off on it. Yeah. But I think we're going to see another another shot at that. I really do. I think we'll see another shot at that coming up. 
Um, something that I, I've been researching a little bit is just this this balance of who pays taxes at the federal level in this country. So the recent report I saw from the Treasury is that the top 1% paid more than the bottom 95%. And, it, and I looked at that um, as, it, as it just distributed out across the income levels. That's incredible, yet the president says that's unfair and that the 95% are paying what the top 1%. I, I, I don't get the logic. Our, the American income tax, personal income tax, federal, federal, is very progressive um, and much more than the European taxes. The Europeans have that, which is a big sales tax of 20 25% on everybody, right. and then they have things like social security taxes on everyone. Now, remember, that's the personal income tax. People still pay social security yeah. taxes, yep. they pay care taxes, they pay taxes on energy, um, and so middle income people and lower income people, they all pay taxes, but the personal income tax is very skewed, and we could actually have much more economic growth if we took that rate down and move to a single rate. When Reagan was president, he got us totally to agree. 15 and 27, the two rates. Totally um, agree. Unfortunately, Bush let it drift up, and the Democrats have torn it and moved it up pretty high. To state and local, some states are going to be paying more than 50% now. That's crazy. Grover, really appreciate you joining us today. Very insightful, sir. Keep up the good fight. Let's get those taxes down. We're going to work on it here in Mississippi some more. Thank you. Yes. Interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. The Frogs. We are back in the Element Wealth Studio. Appreciate Grover Norquist joining us. So it's no secret the lieutenant governor was not in support of total elimination of the income tax. And uh, there are some others in the Senate as well, as I said. Now, he maintains, he contends that the votes were there in the Senate. I'm not totally convinced in that, and that's just from my discussions with senators that the votes were there, but we'll, we'll never know. And, of course, Thomas is the one that always says if they put it on the floor, we'd know. Maybe. Uh, I think there was some vote counting going on um, before that, I, and I don't know that we'd learn anything from that. I, I do say, again, that the complexion of the Senate is just different than the House in that regard. This was certainly a marquee issue for Speaker of the House Philip Gunn. I still like the first bill that would have eliminated the income tax right off the bat, but would have increased sales taxes. I know that's objectionable to a lot of people. Man, they they let us know when that came out. But it would have got it done in short order. The the phased-in approach that Grover talked about is better than nothing. I just fear that the triggers were such that we'd, we'd never attain them and that the phasing in would... Never happened. Um, and, and he's right. There's a couple of states that have passed that. But at least you had a path to do it. Of course, the legislature at any, at any point in time could amend that legislation. 
just revoke it, repeal it. But uh, I'm disappointed that there was not a great deal of interest on the part of the lieutenant governor to really work to eliminate income tax. And that is a it's a high-profile issue in the campaign. There's no doubt about it. However, polls show that most people prefer to eliminate or significantly reduce the tax on groceries. Those candidates who have committed to doing both, I'd say to them, we need to see a viable plan to strip $2.6 billion out of a $6.3 billion budget. That's, um, that's a tall order from a financial perspective. But I think we got to keep working for this, for sure. Uh, I'd like to see it done. I, I just don't know how hard the lieutenant governor would be willing to work on that issue. And if Chris McDaniel were to be elected, I think he would make it a centerpiece of, of uh, his serving as lieutenant governor. I'm just not sure that he can get all the support he needs in the legislature to make that happen. And whether or not we can get a plan that, again, gets that done in some reasonable period of time where people feel the real, true impact of it. I think the public, when you talk about that, do you not think, Rhino, that the average voter out there thinks, yeah, if this person's elected, I will not have a state income tax as soon as they're elected, shortly thereafter? Do you think they realize that, no, that is a phased-in, long-term effort like Grover talked about in North Carolina? What do you think? I think it's about 50-50. Okay. You, you've got some that believe everything that comes out of their favorite candidate's mouth and believe it's going to happen on day one as soon as they're sworn in, and you have others that are more realistic and understand it might not ever happen, but at least they're trying. Okay. I do know that um, I was told, at least, by someone who attended a town hall uh, that Chris McDaniel conducted in Madison County this past Monday, was asked a question about how are you going to eliminate the income tax? It's a big chunk of money. You know, what? what's the what's that model? What's the, What does that budgetary model look like? I'm paraphrasing a bit. That's kind of my words. And his response was, well, the, the market would respond. And, and sort that out. You really can't make budgets on that basis. Those those would be projections and and not tenable budgets. I, I agree that you would have some market response. I do think you'd have – you can't say that, hey, if we eliminate the income tax, I think it's disingenuous to say that means that every dollar we're currently collecting on the income tax would go away. There, there would obviously be uh, – a revenue reduction less than that for a couple of reasons. One is you're spending money uh, that you keep, that you no longer send to the state as an income tax, and that generates sales taxes that goes to the state. But that's not dollar for dollar. That's seven cents on a dollar. And then don't forget 18 cents or 18 percent of that goes to the municipality where the transaction occurred. And then there's just there's just economic growth that you would expect. Now, that's speculative, just like Grover said, and I agree that, you know, it is a selling feature to companies to come here, to people to stay here that graduate from our colleges. Hey, look, stay here, don't pay an income tax, and at least it puts you on a level playing field with Florida and Texas and Tennessee and other states that don't have one. No doubt about that. 
Uh, I agree with that. So, but it's hard to project that. You know, it's hard to embed that uh, as input into any economic models, budgetary models. If you were to eliminate the income tax, and of course you've got uh, spending that you got to deal with, and in Mississippi, as is the case, I think in all fifty states, you're required to balance the budget. Can't you can't operate at a deficit? Um, certainly, when you appropriate money, you can't do that. And and uh, when you take into account what you expect to be revenue, it's not the way we operate. The federal government, no, they don't have to do that. That's why we're producing these gigantic deficits without any sort of consequences. But I think the candidates differ on their view on that. That would be a key campaign uh, pardon me, debate question if we had the two uh, on the stage at the same time in a forum to discuss that issue. That's certainly a key distinction between the two. One says, Senator McDaniel, I I'm, I'm support eliminating the income tax, and I, I haven't seen that in any of the lieutenant governor's campaign materials as part of his vision, his plan, his proposals for a second term. He, he does, however, point to the success of what was a significant tax reform that passed in um, in 22, uh, and that's something that uh, he has at least touted as an accomplishment as part of his term. We've seen what Chris is capable of when he ran against Senator Cochran. It got him beat, and I think Miss Sojourner. I, for one, hate these ads. That's Tim and McGee. You know, I just, for me, Tim, it's more a matter of the, the, the campaign sort of devolved into the mudslinging. And as you said, we should expect that certainly at this point. And I, I'm more about hearing what your plans are, what your vision is, what your proposals are. How do we move the state forward? I, I certainly would like to do that. In, in a debate uh, environment, that's exactly what we focus on and where we're going to be leading with our questions next week when we talk to him. Jim from Ripley, my take on the lieutenant governor race. I have some issues with Delbert, but I'm a little scared some of Chris McDaniel's tactics and stand on some issues such as the state flag. He seems to cater to those whose ideology would hold our state back. Uh, let's see here. Gerard, and I might not, and I might not be spelling that correctly. That's no problem, Lance. It's G-E-R-A-R-D. He spelled it G-I-R-A-R-D. Wow, that's closer than most when I see the spelling of my name. No problem at all. I don't get to listen as much as I would like to, but wanted to let you know the more I hear you talk about your ideals and your past history, such as foster kids and your beliefs, I wish you would run for governor in the future. The Lord blesses his people for certain reasons. Just listening to your speaker about the tax issue is the reason that me – and other people will not be voting for Delbert Hoseman. Do not understand why he would not let it come up for a vote when politicians think they know what are best for the people. That is when they are out of touch. Appreciate that. Uh, Lance, appreciate the kind words there. Paul Gallo came out against Chris McDaniel this morning, again, like he did when he ran against Cochran. Larry and Myers reports. I didn't listen. I'm not sure if that's the case or not. I'll take your word for it there, Larry. I'll see what I can find out. Uh, And by the way, in case anybody's wondering, and Rhino, you can certainly attest to this, management here hasn't told us this is who you're going to support. I know a lot of people out there believe that, erroneously believe that. Have they said anything to us whatsoever? No. Zero. Nada. And let me be clear, once again, as we often have to do, 
This is an opinion show. There's a disclaimer attached to it that the views expressed by the host do not necessarily correspond with that of the owners and the operators of this network. But no one has come to us and said, here's how you're going to handle that. The decision I made to try to remain as objective and informative as possible is of my own accord. So if Paul Gallo comes out and expresses his support for a specific candidate, he is free to do that. And I've respected your decision by keeping my personal opinion close to the vest. You have, and I respect you for doing so. Um, When this is all over, things may be a little different at that point, right? Maybe. Yeah. But we can, um, I just want to pass that on in case that's in anybody's mind. And honestly, if that weren't the case, I'm not sure I, I would do this. We're coming right back. We got half an hour left on middays in the Element Well studio. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. On the C Spire text line, by the way, that's 601-879-4395. I can't, can't, I don't know if I can or can't. I can't decide how much or how little or what and what not to buy. I'd rather eliminate income taxes. Okay, uh, I guess that in as opposed to sales taxes on groceries. I keep going back to that. I was kind of stunned, I'll have to tell you, when we had Becky Curry, Representative Becky Curry from Lincoln County, in the studio. And it was during the session, and it was this controversy about the the uh, conference meeting they had on the income tax legislation being proposed in the to fully eliminate it in the House this year and send it over to the Senate and try it again. And even I asked her. If you if we got a bill to eliminate the grocery sales tax to the floor, what do you think would happen? She said it would pass this afternoon. I can't can't get that out of my mind. Meaning that she's talked to her colleagues, and I think they've gotten pressure from their constituents that that's what they want to see happen. Um, and of course, elimination of the income tax doesn't help those who whose income is derived from exempt retirement sources. So they, obviously, hold their hand up and say, what are you going to do for me? Right? You, We heard that oh, yeah. over and over. And, I, and I, you know, I'm not faulting them for that. I'm just pointing that out, uh, that, that that's part of the challenge of getting the income tax eliminated. They would say, yeah, please reduce the tax on groceries. That would help me. Right? But the conservative argument for any tax is that a consumption tax is the most fair. Absolutely. 
uh, has been for decades. So that that's just been uh, vetted out by conservative think tanks and and economists who say that taxing consumption is more efficient. It does not punish, if you will, productivity and production of wealth and income. And in fact, it gains taxes from those who are either skirting the system or lying to the system about their income. Correct. And this is why I support it, as I've said so many times before, the very first bill. And by the way, it it was that philosophy that drove the architects of the first bill with Speaker of the House Philip Gunn. That's what drove it. And if you look at the neighboring states, we have the lowest sales tax because all the other states later on, in addition to their state sales tax, county, parish, municipal tax, we're a couple of points below them. So this would have put us still below them but would have gotten rid of that income tax uh, in a short period of time. In my opinion, both, this is Steve and Brookhaven, both Delbert and Tate are turncoat rhinos. I believe they have no true spine when it comes to the will of the people of the state. This is just an opinion of my observations. Well, specifically on what issues, Steve? Let us know. Back when Obama was elected, I had men working for me that thought they were going to get a medical card in the mail. Going back to our conversation about Supporters believing campaign promises will go into effect on day one or if they'll take time. Sure. Absolutely. That's a good point. Well, I I keep going back to Senator Ted Cruz is the one I remember so vividly in the 2016 presidential election. He was a candidate, as you recall, and I erroneously thought that he carried Mississippi, but you corrected me, came in second in the primary, right? Donald Trump did carry it. But I guess what I was thinking about is he had broad support, including Senator McDaniel. He was a supporter of of uh, Ted Cruz, and many of Senator McDaniel's supporters were as well. I, I know that. I talked to many of them. But where I'm going with that is every single time he he spoke, Senator Cruz, the very first thing he would say is, I'm going to eliminate every single word of Obamacare. And every time I'd hear that, I'd say, no, you're not. You may want to, but you're not, because we don't have dictators. We don't. We want less power, honestly, from the executive branch. We want more balance. That's the way it was designed. And we dang sure want less power um, and less action from the deep state bureaucratic agencies that seem to think they run the dang country. Jeff in Grenada says, maybe I missed Chris starting it, but the first mudslinging I saw came from Delbert. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that that even matters, honestly. I mean, the, the fact is the campaign has devolved into a mudslinging contest for the most part, and it was just a matter of time. So, I, I you know, as far as the timing, I don't know. Gerard Rhino, write-in candidates for governor and lieutenant governor this election. Let's go, baby! <laughs> yeah, but which one gets which? I don't know. We'll flip a coin. Because <laughs> oh. it could be argued the lieutenant governor has more policy power. That's right. But the governor has more swing. I don't know. They're, they're supposed to be the cheerleader for right. the state, in my view. I mean, they do sign... Legislation yeah. into law, but have veto power, yeah, which is honestly 
not too great when you got supermajorities in the houses, if you think about it. Assuming that most legislation passes on that basis, on a partisan basis. Curtis and McCool, mudslinging is like getting in a spitting, spitting contest with a skunk. Even if you win, you'll still stink like a skunk. <laughs> I listened to Gallo this morning. He did not come out against Chris. He simply pointed out Chris is misguided and manipulated message. It was, I think, Larry and Mize that earlier said that uh, he came out uh, in opposition, right, of Chris McDaniel. I'll second that you run for governor, Gerard. Got my vote. I appreciate that. I really do. That's um, not something that I certainly have planned this cycle. It's too late for that, but you never know where the good Lord may lead you. How much would we have to raise the sales tax rate to make up for the loss of income tax, Larry and Mize asked? Well, help me remember the original bill, uh, Rhino. I want to say it was 1.5% increase. Does that, that sound right? right? Yeah. And, and where, where that got lots of pushback, Larry, is uh, there, there are certain purchases that uh, do not – are, are exempt from sales taxes and others which have a lower rate a- applied, such as vehicles. And re- remember, that was a that was a point of contention because I want to say Rhino, that's three percent would have gone to four and a half. Doesn't that kind of ring a bell on vehicles? And then loggers get some sort of special exemption. I apologize, folks. I had all that stuff committed to memory two years ago. We talked about it so much. Um, Farmers, right? Farming equipment, implements, and so forth. And then farmers also, the sales tax on the energy they consume, that is exempt, whereas in, it is not in other industries through the years. No surprise, in an agricultural state, uh, farmers have uh, been successful in securing a, a good number of, of concessions. Uh, the farming industry has. So, that I mean, that comes to mind. Manufactured housing is another one that has a lower than the full 7% rate. What we, what we don't have a lot of in Mississippi is an additional layer of tax at the municipal or county level. And, in fact, that's something that has to be approved by the legislature. City of Jackson does have one, for example. I think DeSoto County has one. I don't uh, can't I think remember. Tupelo has one, too. I think you're right. I think you're right about that. But it, but if you look, folks, at the other states like Louisiana, Alabama, Arkansas, they're all in the 9% range once you add up the layers of taxes from the sales taxes we're talking about, the state level and then the county level. So, Larry, Larry, that's pretty much hopefully answers the question there. You're talking about a uh, an increase in the sales tax by, as I recall, it was 1.5%. But... You recall, though, that we were reducing the sales tax on groceries as part of the first bill. Isn't that the way you remember it? Yes. And Because we had some city leaders who said that would hurt us because most of the sales taxes that are diverted to us are, come from sales of groceries. That Typically, those are the big retailers in small communities. I think that's absolutely right. Let's see, two things, because Delbert couldn't get the constitutional amendment set and because he wouldn't push the no taxes debate, he will have a hard time winning in this one, plus the fact he has 13 Democrats over committees is lunacy. So if just letting you know for what that's worth in the, in the final point there, 
the governor, as lieutenant governor, also appointed Democrats, and Governor Phil Bryant, as lieutenant governor, also appointed Democrats. I maintain that the proper stance on that issue is to reduce the number of freaking committees. So that's not an issue. Because right now we have more committees than we have Republicans in the Senate when we have a supermajority in the Senate. That sounds like too much bureaucracy, too many committees to me. But I do totally agree that the ballot initiative process and these the um, elimination of income taxes, no doubt, those are high-profile issues. And I think as voters, it is incumbent upon us to know where they stand. We're coming right back with the final segment. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. Worked all week, got it all done. Let's make the Tennessee River. Hey, everybody, I think the time is right. Let's get together. Donald in Oxford says Chris McDaniel's stance on removing the Confederate emblem from the state flag shows how out of touch he is for the well-being of the state of Mississippi. We were being threatened financially from everyone, and even those who wanted to keep it knew it was time. He pandered to his largest campaign toner, sons of the Confederate veterans. He has no clue what he's doing. So there's strong feelings on both sides of that issue for sure. Why are our license tax so much more expensive than other states? Uh, that is because, look, you can analyze all these states, and I, I did this the other day, and look at the overall tax burden. We fall in the middle. We fall in the middle, literally at like 24. Um, Hawaii, the, the, the states you would expect. Hawaii, I think, was either number one or two. New York, California, Connecticut, Illinois, blue states, really high tax burdens. But it's just a function of what do you want to tax. you got to have money to operate the schools, to operate the counties. That's where most of that money goes that uh, you pay. When you buy a car tag, a piece of it, a small piece of it goes to the state. Uh, It's not a primary source of revenue to the state. Income taxes, sales taxes are. It's just, what do you want to tax? Pick your poison. The other thing is, so you'll know, it's because the other states have higher sales taxes, which funds typically their counties, parishes in Louisiana, and cities. We have lower sales taxes, but we have higher car tax. Pick your poison. you got to have money from somewhere. Texas has no income tax, for example, but they have a fairly high property tax. Anybody that lives out there that moves from here is shocked when they pay the property taxes, but they don't have an income tax. So, Which is crazy because you have people moving from California to Texas every day because the taxes in Texas are still better than out in California. Absolutely. Eliminate the grocery tax, Ed from New Hope says. It's great to the consumer, yet municipalities rely on that revenue. Right, Ed, you're right, and we pointed that out. Um, and I'll never forget when we first started discussing that, The uh, we had a couple of folks on our text line that identified themselves as, as mayors, uh, city leaders, and said, wow, this would hurt us because we rely on that. And then the you remember... Another iteration of the bill, the Speaker of the House came back and said, we're going to make you whole. But that was the one that phased it in, remember, over a period of time. 
Ooh, he was who first? Ooh, says Mike from Grand Bay. Yeah, I, again, I I think that's irrelevant. It's just both are in, engaged in mudslinging. George Washington turned down the position of king after winning the war for independence, says Darren and Jackson. Man, there ain't no more George Washingtons out there anymore, are there, that um, would make such a move? All the states with no income tax have higher property taxes. Total elimination of income tax is telling me to move somewhere else, says Mose. I don't know that all the states do, but I have done some comparison of the property taxes in Mississippi relative to, like, Florida and Texas. It is no doubt that, um, which don't have, they're probably the best-known states because they're large, that don't have an income tax. No doubt uh, both their sales taxes and their property taxes are higher. But as Rhino says, it's, it's considered efficient from an economic perspective to tax consumption uh, over income, and that taxing income is the most inefficient form of taxation. And as I shared when Grover was on uh, the, the line earlier, and this is hot off the press, and this is absolute fact, the top 1% pay more than the bottom 95% in this country. Yet we have Democrats that say, well, they got to begin to pay their fair share. Good grief. Just so misguided. If there was a lieutenant governor debate, South Park versus South Park in the meme that <laughs> that Thomas says, even Podunk North Carrollton has a local tax, thanks to my sorry senator, says Thomas in Greenwood. This McDaniel Daniel ad that you ran several times in your program is very misleading. So let me be clear, Rhino and I don't schedule the ads. Um, that's a whole different area here at Super Talk. We don't have a clue, honestly. We're not informed of what's going to be airing on our breaks as far as commercials and advertising. That's a different set of people that handle that. Thank goodness. Yeah, exactly. That's a full-time job. i got enough plates spinning. That's exactly. It's a full-time job for a lot of people, let's be clear. And they do a hell of a job at it as well. So the candidates buy airtime. And uh, and then they record those ads. As you can tell, sometimes it's their voice. Sometimes it's um, a third party. Sometimes it's not usually, though, that I'm aware of somebody from our staff that might do that on behalf of a commercial customer. I'm not aware that we have any personality at the company here that would record an ad for a candidate. Exactly. There are all these committees. It's like, we'll just start a committee, says Tim and McGee. I think that's absolutely something we're going to keep pounding on is why do we have all these dang committees? Eliminate all the tax, all taxes. All you have left is socialism. Hmm, i got to think about that. That doesn't add up on the ceasefire tax line. No talk of cutting government spending to help offset cutting the income tax. Right, because where do you want to cut, Thomas, other than consolidate school districts, which ain't going to happen. We're, we're out of here today. We thank you so much for joining us. Back with you on Monday. Have a great weekend, everyone. Until then, stay safe. God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.